0: Last week, we uh, kicked off our perspective series, changing the way that we think about things uh, that we recognize uh, really throughout Scripture. We uh, see uh, verses that address how we think. They address the mind. And having a different perspective is really kind of, uh, if you've ever found yourself saying, oh, I I never really thought of it that way. That's a different perspective, and we're going to look over the course of the next few weeks. Last week, we uh, talked about a different perspective on eternity. Um, We are going to take a look at how we see people with a different perspective, how we uh, deal with our money in a different perspective, how we serve, that's what we're going to talk about today, in a different perspective. Uh, and then we're going to talk about our families in a different perspective and seeing our families in a different perspective. And, uh, and I just want to take a moment and remind you, and I, I know you're going to get sick of me saying this, but rather than doing a video announcement, which, to be honest, uh, often goes missed uh, because I, I, don't, I don't, maybe because we're used to seeing the video screen and stuff, I want to give verbal announcements because I don't want you to miss November the 7th. November the 7th, we have Dr. Kevin Lehman coming. It's going to be fantastic. He'll be in both of our services, but the thing that we need your help with is we need your help registering for the evening session. So the evening session is going to be uh, a more informal time where he's going to share a little bit, but then it's going to be question and answers. He's given us the freedom to be able to ask questions about parenting or about marriage and Uh, And so, this is he's just a wealth of information. If you don't know who Dr. Lehman is, you can Google him and find out uh, that he's just written like a million books. I don't know how many books he's written, but it's a lot. Uh, And then on Monday morning, we're going to have kind of a business breakfast where if you're in charge of people, if you manage people, uh, this is a great opportunity. He's going to come and share about his book, uh, Way of the Shepherd, which is how to manage people in a Christ like way. So, Uh, Just make sure that you get uh, signed up for that. Uh, Share it with your friends. It's being promoted now through our Facebook page, and uh, we're throwing out ads everywhere. So it is going to uh, begin to fill up, and so we want our people to have first crack at that. Uh, So make sure that you get signed up. All right, we're going to talk today about serving from a different perspective as I said, when we think of the word perspective, we really come to this notion that um, I never thought about it that way before. Have you, If you've ever been in a scenario or a situation where uh, you have had something that you've always thought to be true, but then all of a sudden there's just a little bit of a different take on it, you're like, oh, I, I really have never thought about it that way. Uh, in John Maxwell, and I've been using a lot of his stuff recently because I've been reading a lot of his stuff. He says uh, in, uh, with success that oftentimes success is measured by what you accomplish, right? That, that that's typically how the world would, uh, would measure success. What have you accomplished in this life? But actually he says success is when those who know you best love and respect you the most, that's what success is. So you just say, well, I've never really thought of success that way before. That's a different perspective. Success isn't what you do. It's who you are. It's a different perspective than the world. It's having a different way of thinking. And as we go into today's message, my hope is that we will see Philippians maybe from a little bit of a different perspective. We'll see how we respond to Serving in this life in a much different perspective. Philippians is a letter that was written to the church of Philippi by the Apostle Paul, and some argue that uh, the church of Philippi was Paul's favorite church. He wrote churches to, or he wrote letters to many different churches, uh, but many believed that Philippi was his favorite church, and mostly those people or the Church of Philippi. They believed that they were his favorite church. And he writes this thank you letter of sorts because they had just given him this great gift, and so he's writing them this thank you letter, and this is what it says in verse 1. It says, if you ha- in, in chapter 2, verse 1, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, If any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion. And this is what he says. He says, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, by being in unity, not just with one another, but being united with Christ. Having the, the same love that Christ has and being one in spirit and purpose. To be like-minded, Phroneo is the Greek word there of like-minded, to set your affection on, to think, to be single-minded, to be focused, and to be united in how you respond. In other words, I want you, he says, to be like Christ. I want you to think on the same things as Christ, as the things that he thought on. And all throughout Scripture, what we find is these powerful verses about our thoughts. And I know there's kind of this, um, culturally, there's kind of uh, the self-help and the, if you just uh, take time and clear your mind and you think, you know, you meditate and all these things, that there's, there's this kind of notion that, um, that everything will be okay. And I would just argue that it doesn't necessarily change the circumstances around you, but what Scripture says is, no, we're not just about emptying our mind, we're about filling our mind with the things of Christ. We're emptying our mind of the lies of the enemy and we're filling our mind with the promises of Scripture, There's all of these powerful verses on our thoughts. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by what? By the renewing of your mind. These scriptures aren't going to be up on the the screen. We take every captive thought to make it obedient to who? To ourselves? No, to, to Christ. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable... If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Again, it's those are the things that we're to be thinking about. Proverbs twenty three seven: As a man thinks in his heart, so he is. Which leads me to think that there is a to think that there is a lot to say about how and what we are thinking about. How you think, number one, how you think determines what you become. And this is really what I was alluding to in my pre-sermon, was that when we begin to believe the lies of the enemy, we begin to operate our life out of those lies. If we believe the lie that says that we are held captive by fear, we begin to live our life as though we are captive in fear. This isn't like, if I just will myself to think differently, then then I'll be okay. No, this is just understanding how important the way that we think and what we think affects our life. So much so that if we believe that we are slaves... Whether it's to fear or anxiousness or whatever, then we will live as captive slaves. Let me give you a great example. This is a familiar story that we, we have heard throughout history. But in 1944, December 26, Hiro Onoda was a Japanese soldier who was sent to Lubang Island in the Philippines. He was sent there to keep the United States from taking this strategic island but when the Americans arrived on February 28, 1945, Hiro and his men Hiro and his men could not defend the island from the Americans. The Americans took it over and Hiro and the three remaining men with him. So just Hiro Hiro and the three more went up into the hills and they hid. Now the war was over on August 15th and for those Months, Hiru and his men battled the Americans. But when the war was over on August 15th, some islanders left some notes to Hiru and his three men and said, Look, friends, the war's over. Come out of the hills. But they looked at the notes and they said, no, it's a trick. And so they stayed in the hills. And for the next little bit, even though the war was over, they kept coming in and burning fields and killing animals and stealing supplies and even had gunfights with the local police. Why? Because they believed a lie. And that lie perpetuated what they thought was true. And they fought a war that wasn't actually happening. This has actually went on for years, even though the emperor, the general, sent leaflets flying down from planes that that commanded them to surrender they said hey this is a surrender notice this is the general you have to surrender they looked at it and thought nope it's fake it's fake so they kept on fighting they kept on fighting for 30 years heroes three men all died believing a lie that the war was still going they lost their lives to a lie. And when he finally surrendered in 1974, after 29 years of fighting a war that was over, he realized that he'd wasted a lot of years on a lie. I tell that story because for, for all of what we experience in church and coming and hearing sermons and hearing the truth Friends, I think that we often just continue to believe the lies. We've wasted a lot of time believing lies. And God wants to remove that lie and replace it with the truth. If you are here this morning and you're tired, Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 says, Come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. If you're struggling with depression or disappointment, the joy of the Lord is your strength. If you're struggling maybe with some sort of addiction, for sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law but under grace. If you're struggling with anger, Ephesians chapter 4 says, Get rid of all anger, rage, malice, and brawling. Be kind and tenderhearted, forgiving as Christ forgave you you're dealing with insecurity, Ephesians 2 says you are God's handiwork. You are his handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works that he prepared in advance before you were ever even born. Or maybe it is fear. Second Timothy 1.7 says God has not given us a spirit of fear but of power and of love and of sound mind. How we think determines what we become and if we believe these lies that somehow they have a footing in our life somehow they have control over our lives we will continue to be at war in a battle that doesn't exist which leads me to point number two if you think like jesus thought you will live like jesus lived when we begin thinking the way that Jesus thought, if you, if you look at how he lived while he was on this earth, it was all about just pleasing God and loving people, right? We hear this tagline in churches all over the country, that our mission is to love God and love people, and although that is true... I don't know that uh, it has really sunk into our life that it's not just a mission statement to be on a wall, but it's actually something in how Jesus thought and how he lived his life. His whole role was to please God and to love people that he encountered. In fact, they asked him, what is the greatest commandment? And his response to, to these religious people were to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And then the second is to love your neighbor as yourself. Philippians two three says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. And that's the key, isn't it? The, the key here is, is not that we're just going to go out and we're going to fix the world and we're going to be all to all people, that we're going we're gonna to be everybody's savior. No, we're not that. We go in humility. We Do everything to please God, and we do everything to love people, not out of some sort of arrogance that we're better than everybody else, but out of humility. The word humility in the Greek there is a word that I don't think anybody should ever have to pronounce, so I'm not going to. But it means modesty, humility of mind, lowliness of mind that I, I choose in my mind to position myself lower than others. Not, not, not as a self-deprecating, false humility way, but I do that to please God and to love other people. It goes on in verse 4, it says, Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. That your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. And attitude is a big deal, isn't it? Attitude is this little thing that can make a huge difference, a big difference in your life. And people with bad attitudes, you know them. You you know who the people are in your life that just live with a bad attitude. It's obvious, and it affects everything around them. And if you don't know anybody who has a bad attitude, ask yourself, am I that guy? Am I the one? Am I the bad attitude? See, attitude makes a huge difference. You can have an attitude that, oh, I'm at the bottom half of my class, right? I I scored in the bottom half of my class. Or you could have the attitude that says, I'm in the bottom half that made the top half possible, (laughs) right? (laughs) Like, you're welcome, or you could be like the, the little kid who's in his backyard and he's, uh, he's throwing the ball up to himself and he's like, I'm the greatest hitter ever. And he throws the ball up and he swings and he misses. And he's like, oh. he's, like, oh. he's like, I'm the greatest hitter ever. He throws the ball up, swings, and he misses it again. He's like, I'm the greatest hitter ever. And he throws the ball up and, he sw- and he's like, oh my goodness. He's like, I'm the greatest pitcher ever that just struck out the greatest batter ever. Like that's a different change in attitude. That's a different perspective. Attitude is everything. And I'm not just talking about positive thinking here because there's a lot of that nonsense that exists in this world. This isn't like thinking positively, you know. This isn't some self-help nonsense. This is just saying how we respond in this world ought to be and how we think in this world ought to be how Christ thought. Philippians 2 goes on in verse 5, it says, Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, listen to this, he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Nothing. So being in the very nature of God, he didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped. That word grasped is to plunder or to rob, to steal. That's what Satan did. right? That's what, that's what Satan did when he wanted to be equal with God. No, he didn't consider that. Instead, what he did is he made himself nothing. He took on the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. It's about serving. That when we think about how are we going to please God, how are we going to, to, let me just stop for a second because I've said that like three times and I don't like how it's coming out of my mouth. When I say when we please God, I don't mean to imply that somehow we need to appease God or please him in such a way that now he loves us and now we are saved. I'm not talking about that. I need you to hear me say that because our salvation is a free gift. What we experience in Christ is free. He loves us. He could not love us any more than he already loves us. So I just want to be very clear about that. But when we look at the life of Jesus, when we say pleasing God, we're talking about how do we operate in this life where we are loving God with all of our heart, our soul, and our mind, and then loving our neighbor as ourselves. When we do that, it brings about, like when we start operating that way, we become people of peace. W- you've seen this graphic that I'm gonna ask the guys to throw up on the screen. You've seen this graphic a lot. You're gonna see it a lot because this is a big part of what we're trying to equip Lifehouse to do is to be people of peace. That, that when you operate in this life, Thinking the way that Jesus thought. That we're doing so not just in the church. That this is, it's not that we have humility in the church or we are people of peace in the church. No, this is about taking the heart of Christ into every aspect of our life. It's about being a people, a humble people of peace who love others in the context of our workplace, in the context of of where we go to school, or maybe we are teachers in a school, or in our neighborhoods, in our community. How are we being people of peace in our community, in our home? Are you loving your family and caring for your family and serving your family in your home? See, he took on the very nature of a servant, And this idea of being a servant, of serving other people, doesn't just take place on a dream team at Lifehouse Church. This is one aspect. Church is just one aspect of our life circle. And yes, we serve in our church, not because of, of what we do, but because of who we are and who he is through us. See, pleasing God isn't about self promotion. Loving God is not about self promotion. It's about self abandonment. It's a, it's a shift in our perspective. Paul says that Jesus didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped. Instead, he just made himself nothing. He didn't self-promote. And if there was ever anyone that's walked this earth that could have self-promoted, it would have been Jesus. Instead, it was self-abandonment. He took on the nature of a servant. Servant is the Greek word doulos, doulos. A slave, a servant, it's, and get this definition, permanently devoted to the will of another. That is what we are to become, people who are permanently devoted to the will of God in our life. And we know what that will is, to love God with all of our heart, our soul, our mind, and to love our neighbor as ourself. So serving is not what I do, but a servant is who I am. This is a part of every aspect of my life. I'm not a servant because I serve on hospitality in the dream team or I serve down Lifehouse Kids Hall, although you're a real servant if you do that. It's not what I do. It's who we are. It's who we are through Christ. The challenge, though, is that we want others to serve us. We don't see ourselves as servants to others, or or we've allowed the lies to put us in some sort of victim mentality that says, everyone needs to serve me, that I'm not in a good place, I can't serve. It's so ironic, as I said earlier in my pre-message, that Paul is chained to a prison guard, There is no more difficult position to be in that I can think of other than death than to be in prison, chained to another human being in a prison cell. He's chained to a prison guard and he's saying to this church, he's speaking to the church and he says, being found in appearance as a man, Jesus humbled himself, became obedient to death. Even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place, gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's interesting to me that when Paul did address the church at Philippi, it's the only church that he addresses them as a servant. In every other instance, he addresses the church as servant and apostle, or just apostle. But it's interesting to me, with, with the church in Philippi, he just says, Paul, the, the servant of the church. Jesus took on the nature of a doulos, a servant, a person devoted to the will of another, how could Paul, in the midst of being chained to a prison guard, or how could he write the words to, to live as Christ and to die as gain? How, how could he write, "I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing my Christ Jesus." How could he write, don't be anxious, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God? How can we be happy in this world? How can we have joy in this world? With everything that we're going through, with every circumstance that we encounter, how can I continue to have joy through all of that? We do it by taking on the role of a servant. We take it. We do it by taking on the role of a servant, not just in serving on a dream team. We take it. We do it by taking on the role of a servant to every aspect of our life. One of our values here is joy. If you're not aware of that, it's because I haven't done a great job communicating it. What we sang about joy this morning and. I think it's important for me to remind you that we are a people of joy, not because of what our current circumstances are. but we are joy, be- we are people of joy because we are forgiven. We are freed from the enemy's power of sin and sickness, lies and torment. And we live in the power of righteousness, in healing, in truth and in joy. That we are people of the fruit of the Spirit, and the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy. That we are people of joy. And my joy isn't based on what happens to me, but what God is doing in me and through me. In verse 17 of chapter 2, he goes on and says, But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and I rejoice with all of you. It's not about me, it's not about you. I'm mindful of the fact that how we do church today is very different than how they did church in antiquity, in biblical times all of what you see here and experience here looks very different than how they used to do church. But this is our cultural church right now. This is how we operate and exist in this current culture and context. Will that change and adapt at some point? Possibly. But we serve at LifeHouse on a dream team not because this is what it's going to take to be a part of the church, we don't serve on a dream team because that means that somehow God will love me more or that I will somehow get a higher status and get upgrades in heaven, right? Like that that doesn't, that's not how this works. We, we serve not because of the things that we're doing, but because of what Christ is doing through us. We serve because every time somebody walks onto our property in my prayer all the time is that more and more people who don't have a relationship with Jesus will walk onto our property and their lives will be changed, not because of who we are, but because of Christ through us. We serve people because it brings joy in the midst of a world that's just selfish and thinks only about itself. We serve because it's so countercultural and counter-intuitive to the culture that we live in. And when we serve people in all humility, people's lives begin to change. We serve on a dream team not because that's what's expected of me to be a part of this church. We serve on a dream team because it's one part. I'm going to have them throw it back up there. It's one part of our life circle Church is in our life circle. If if you go to church on a regular basis, if you're watching online, we want you to serve. Maybe you can be an online host. We want you to serve, not because that's what it takes to be a part of LifeHouse Church, but we want you to serve because it's a part of your life circle. And we should be servants in all aspects of our circle. In whatever part of this circle you find yourself in, we should be people who serve even in our favorite places. Do you know that you can go into a restaurant and actually serve your server? You can. In all humility, you can love and talk to them, ask them how their life is going. You're not manipulating the situation. You're just loving people in the way that Christ loved people. Serving isn't what I do. It's... It's how I think. It's who I am. It's because of who He is in me. Are you serving in your home? Do you expect your kids and your wife to serve you? Or do you serve your family? Do you love your family? Do you care for them? Or vice versa in that scenario? Have you humbled yourself at work in a place to where you're serving your boss or you're serving your employees? You can serve people. And my challenge to you is when you serve, I believe that the promise is that it will bring joy. See, he humbled himself. He became obedient to death, even death on a cross. We serve people because he served us. He served us. He, sacrificed, he made the greatest sacrifice any servant could ever make for another human being. He served us. And that's why we serve. It's a different perspective. If you think that you have to serve at Lifehouse in order to be included or to be a part, that's just simply not true. But my hope is that you serve because of what Christ has done in your life and through your life. That you use your gifts and your talents to be used for his glory. That that when you walk out of this place this morning and you go into your neighborhood and your community and your neighbors are outside because they didn't go to church this morning, that you serve them, you care about them. You may have people in your life who are alone. Maybe there's ways in which you can serve them. This coming week, we have a bunch of you who are uh, really going above and beyond and, and uh, taking the call on serving a bunch of pastors who are going to be here in this room tomorrow night. Like over 300 pastors and ministry leaders are going to be crammed into this super spreader. And uh, no, it's it's not going to be, but it's going to be crazy. They're going to be crammed in here, and there's many of you that have, have stepped up to the call to serve. And my hope is that when we serve them tomorrow, it's not because we feel obligated to our district to do that. It's not because we feel some obligation that if we do it, we will be seen as one of the most amazing churches in the district. My hope is that we do it because that's who we are. That's what we do. We serve people. In whatever environment we find ourselves in, we serve people because that's what Christ did for us. Let's pray.